welcome to the ETPHD Team Podcast, episode number 88 with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am well, thank you. How are you? I am sweet, thank you very much. Although it is 22 degrees in Mexico today. The audacity, it's freezing. <laughs> Do you know what? It's mild here uh, with about six degrees. So <laughs> positively tropical. But the sun is out, so I can't moan. Yeah, I know. Obviously, I'm not really wanted, but there were people on the beach this morning in like the equivalent of like North Face jackets. Sat, <laughs> guys. It, like we were, we're still in shorts and a vest. Actually, I did have a shirt on, but still, like, come to Scotland and then you'll <laughs> you'll see what cold is. Um, other than that, I'm great. Um, so instead of a solo podcast, this is going to be better because you are here and no pressure and also we are going to be talking about bodybuilding I suppose kind of post bodybuilding because a lot of our clients come to us who have competed before or not even not even just competed so we're we're talking about bodybuilding today but actually it could also be people who have like extreme dieted maybe for a shoot or maybe they've just extreme dieted for one of those horrendous photo shoot challenge things that coaches run um even without a shoot and a lot of the same things occur just because you're not stepping on stage doesn't mean that you don't get the same outcomes afterwards or the same physiological psychological changes that come with it and so yeah we work the reason we work I suppose with these people is because a we're the best obviously but b we've obviously both competed before and that's how I fell into the work that I do that's how we ended up working together and so we totally understand the drive we totally understand the pull of it and we also understand the love of it right like we both love the sport so what's what's your background with it so I think I just fell into competing I'd uh, been invited initially to do kind of it wasn't a transformation but it was to make a bodybuilding gym look more female friendly well not just look but be more female friendly by having girls in but they wanted there to be a photo shoot and the training side of things the nutrition side of things that was all taken care of I just needed to do what I was told Um, and I fell in love with it it kind of I didn't really know what I was doing beforehand. I was very much just a cardio bunny, Um, but I did. I fell in love with like seeing your body change and noticing getting stronger. Um, And then after the photo shoot, I was like, well, what's the next goal? And there were a couple of female bodybuilders in the gym. And I went to a couple of shows and watched it. And I was like, do you know what? I might just give it a go let's see (laughs) and then you did how long did you compete for I did four years I think okay four years and about 10 shows yeah a decent a decent stint and then you were quite like you were coached by a bit of a bro coach style yeah yeah an old school bodybuilder um that yeah is the bro food 
bro training everything it was chicken and rice <laughs> no uh, even even in off season chicken and rice um <laughs> uh, what was okay wait what was like a typical day of food for you obviously not you know, I remember I, I I found one when I was moving out and I found one of my old meal plans and I think it was in off season and it was like oats whey blueberries madness <laughs> with some fruit in there then it was like two or three meals chicken rice and I might have been allowed colored veg then mm. and then I think my last meal was like beef or salmon and sweet potato oh nice every day and then yeah. okay so you were allowed oh, with a cheat meal of course come on now of course oh we'll talk about cheat meals of course <laughs> and then what and then you were allowed colored veg you weren't allowed colored veg when you were dieting no because of sugars oh interesting I feel sad that I that I missed out on that to be honest before see before you started competing what would you say that your your general vibe was what was your relationship with food like on the whole what was your general mood or mental health state on the whole relationship with food was okay I think I was pretty uneducated and just kind of chose what I thought were healthy options, still quite flexible, um, but aware of, of health and, and how food choices would affect how I looked. Okay. Um, body image was in the gutter, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So not not horrendous, but not no. well, not where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, I missed, I mean, I did get a bit of bro coaching, but I I prepped myself. Like the first year I competed, so I'm the same as you, right? I competed about four years-ish. And the first year I got had a coach and it was a meal plan. Um, I don't think I had a cheat meal for the whole 10 weeks. So I did only did a 10-week prep. I didn't have a meal plan, I didn't have a cheat meal at all, but after my show I remember having cheat meals and I found god I found an email from to my from me to my coach at the time and it said something like I need to get control of my cheat meals because it was disgusting how much I ate and I went and trained fasted today to to try and help it but I need to like basically something like I need I said something like I need to get some more self-control around it and I look back and I think that is the it's obviously the epitome of everything I talk about now in the sense of how to avoid that situation but for me my prep was fine I didn't overeat or anything like that and it was I mean I asked to change a banana for jaff cakes once and he said well the sugars are slightly different so even though the calories are the same and they're both carbs you can't like ideally you won't do that and so that was the most bro it got I think for me which was like (laughs) he was a really like at the time at the time he was a great coach and I like I wouldn't have a bad word to say about him genuinely um Mm -hmm. And then I prepped myself for four years. But even though I knew, even though I understood everything, I still did silly things. I still, mine were more silly things in terms of my relationship with food. So I did very much a flexible diet, like a flexible diet approach. I remember eating crumpets through like through to peak week to try and make a point. And I, I remember at one point in my final year of competing. So like I, I did pretty well when I finished. And I think it's easy... I tried to make a point of doing really well whilst eating flexible diet to, to try and make a point at the time that you could do it. And then um, I remember at the time eating refeeds of like 700 grams of carbs on two, two days in a row. 
And I remember writing a blog about the science of it. And then the leading female bikini coach at the time um, who had all of her girls on keto wrote a social media post about me and said something like, just because you can eat carbs doesn't mean that all competitors should be. And it was really aggressive, didn't tag me in it. Really aggressive. And I remember being like, I've made it. This like leading you coach <laughs> has attacked me on social media for science. And I was like, this is a turning point of absolute, like of my career. But like, my preps were never bad. I never really binged on prep, but it was very much for me, like the post-show side of it was just a cliche. At least the first two years was an absolute cliche of binge eating and disordered eating and stuff. And we'll talk about that stuff. But I think for me, I was the classic my relationship with food was crap before I even started an off season to go into my first prep. So I was at that time binge eating at least once a week, even before I started. And my, I didn't tell my coach this when I started. And now I think I can't imagine. Course, being, you, don't, you don't tell your coach this. <laughs> no, you don't. Because I, I think that, I think when we, when I competed at least, nobody spoke about this stuff. Nobody said these kind of things can happen. Mm. And it was all, only when you spoke to the other girls that you're like, oh, you do it too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we, so we all don't have any willpower. <laughs> yeah. We've all managed to get to stage at a ridiculous body fat level. And, you know, achieve, most of us have achieved all this stuff in our lives because we're so dedicated, and so motivated and so ambitious. But, you know, it's our self-control that's making us bingy. It's definitely not anything else that's going on. It's just our willpower. Like, it's so, it's so crazy how we're so willing to believe that about ourselves when we work so hard at all other parts of our lives um and what was I going to say yeah so like I, I never felt like I could tell my coach that in the first place and I told him when we quit and he was like you should have told me this from the beginning and I said oh like I know I just didn't I, there's, all, there's so much shame around it then I mean there's still shame around it now which there shouldn't be but at that time there's so much shame no one would ever say and I was the classic oh let's find glorified control in this healthy thing which is competing it's a sport it's okay to be super controlled because it's a sport and I did the thing that I think I still think competitors do now some competitors this is a really important point actually to make this is hashtag not all competitors right this is not us saying every single competitor is going to be x y and z like it's certainly not the case but it's a lot of the case and it's not just women like I get messages from like male bodybuilders who have huge well-known male prep coaches and they say I'm binging every week but I don't want to tell my coach so this is certainly not like this sort of bikini girl um amateur level situation this happens to a lot of people but again hashtag not all people so yeah we both did pretty well in sport um what year did you quit 2016 was my last year Okay, so yeah, I was 2017, second in Britain, and I remember being beaten by someone who's one of my friends now, Amy, and um, she, I remember thinking, she's 10 years younger than me, and I'm never going to be able to, unless I start taking some sort of drugs, I'm never going to compete with girls that are 10 years younger than me, and a lot of girls, not talking about Amy here at all, but like a lot of girls in the sport are on drugs more than you probably think are and at that point I was like no why did you quit so yeah. it was the last year I could do juniors and I looked at like the open categories and I was like how, how do I do this naturally yeah and, and 
I mean, I say I didn't want to do well. I think you always want a little bit of you wants to do well. But I was like, I, I'm not even going to get a look in with yeah. those girls. So. Yeah, exactly that. And so, some of the girls now are insane. I see some of the girls compete now and I just think, holy guacamole, how? <laughs> even I think, how is that physiologically possible? I can't even, some of them are just insane. Like insane. Um, anyway. <sighs> Your, your relationship with the food was okay, right? I've looked into, because it's really easy for me to say, right, oh, well, bodybuilding is just a mask for people with their poor relationship with food. So I have looked into, obviously, the research, and if that's true, and there's this statistic that I read, and it was looking at men. So it wasn't looking at, it's easy to think about these things as being females, but this specific bit of research was looking at men. And they looked at bodybuilders and general population um, and their previous diagnoses of eating disorders, specifically anorexia. And the, at the prior diagnosis of anorexia in male bodybuilders is 100 times higher than the general population. They are 100 times more likely to be diagnosed, have been diagnosed with anorexia than some of the general population. And then they're going into a sport that encourages extreme dieting to body fat levels which would be comparable often to people with eating disorders although eating disorders certainly are not related to a specific body fat level often they are especially anorexia um and then on top of that the, the my favorite is there was, there's been bits of research that have looked like personality traits of bodybuilders and my favorite one and i can say this because we were both bodybuilders so it's absolutely legit to say this but one of the common traits between them is narcissism other things like um, perfectionism, low self-esteem, they're like, they have very similar character traits to people who who have eating disorders. And I think it's so, so easy for people to say, well, that's just your story. You're just that classic cliche of someone who had binge eating and then competed and then blamed the sport for their eating disorder. And it's like, no, no, like we know that bodybuilding as a sport attracts these types of people and what bodybuilding demands if you don't know and you've not been through the, the process is so intense and so focused you literally have to put it above everything else in your life like did you have a balance when you were competing at all and obviously no. <laughs> god no 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 um love life was down the pan I had weddings and Hindus that I took I don't know if you've seen them they're, li they're little pedals just pedals not an actual bike okay yeah so I took those on Hindus and my sister's wedding so I could crack on with my cardio because it was like two weeks out oh my god oh wow that's an <laughs> yeah you know you're just like Christ I mean I have no no regrets but yeah Oh God, I once, I lived in an apartment block that was like 20 stories high in Manchester-ish. And I remember it being four o'clock in the morning because I was going to London for a posing thing. And I, it was so dark that I was too scared to run outside because I lived on a canal and you couldn't see anything. And so I just went, ran up and down. They had no windows, no fresh air on these tiny little fire escape stairs. And I just ran up and down them for like 40 minutes. And I can still remember how like hot and like stuffy it was. And it was four o'clock in the morning. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I have to Education. do. 
it is right and I think well it's not but it's like that's what it's so framed as right and you just think like you're right my I would say my I had a relationship but my sex drive was in the gutter most of the time and part of that was probably because of the relationship but part of that was also because of the hormonal side of it but there's literally no way that you can have balance and what you see is with a lot of people we work with they come out of the sport and they have absolutely no idea how to prioritize these other things in life because you've spent four years even in your off season put in that first so you're still thinking about even if you're still socializing stuff you still maybe you won't have as much alcohol which is not not necessarily a bad thing whatsoever but you still might leave early to make sure you get enough sleep because you had a really hard training session and you're still prioritizing you're still prioritizing like if you skip a training session I don't think I ever skipped a training session in off season or on prep the whole time I competed did you no 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 like never just and then you would also still probably be binge eating in your off season and then you maybe would do double sessions because you know it all goes straight to your glutes when you're um binge eating and you train legs because that was of course of course Legs before cheat meal, that's what it was. <laughs> it was, right? I remember reading a competitor at the time saying that, like saying this is how she grew her glutes. She was on Anabar at the time, but, you know, she grew her glutes <laughs> by having her cheat meal, but she always had it after six o'clock and she'd always done it after leg day. Just yeah. like, and you believe it. I had a PhD at the time and I was like, oh, that's what I need to <laughs> what, Like, what the hell? And I think, so... When it comes to actually competing, again, it's so easy, right, to say that people who have been through competing come out the other side and say that's their issues. And that's a common narrative, isn't it? Like with people who still compete, they say, oh, you just don't like the sport because you had your own issues. And that's not true. But again, I like to find the science. And we know I've got some stats here, right? This is in female physique competitors. Um, they have 60% higher rates of uncontrollable urges to eat, 70% higher rates of obsession with food, and 60% greater fear of becoming fat than people who don't compete. So it's like, we, ca- we can't deny that these things happen to people when they're competing, and we can't say, that, like, obviously this is specifically in women, but this, this is happening for, I, w- I mean, again, I don't have the numbers here, but I would say most competitors have these uncontrollable urges to eat have these higher rates of obsession with food have this great fear of becoming fat like do you think you had like, did you experience any or all of those when you were competing all three <laughs> <laughs> off season and on prep yeah I think I, I think off season obsession with food may be reduced but my off season was still so restrictive that it'd get to the weekend and I'd still just want to binge on all the foods I hadn't eaten in the week that I'd wanted to. Um, But no, on prep, I remember there was me and another competitor, uh, a guy, um, and we used to sit doing cardio and just look at, you know, like food porn. Mm. That's how bad it got. I was like, like, do you think now, if a recipe popped up on my Instagram, I'd be like, oh, that looks nice, but I won't spend hours scrolling food and specifically just food yeah I remember that too like the food porn sites were like number one on on your explore when you click on explore it would just be all food yeah. and 
I remember dating someone who was on prep and we were going to go away together and all we were doing was planning where we were going to eat and I mean don't get me wrong when I go away somewhere I'm like oh they've got this this is really good <laughs> yeah yeah my foodie but everything becomes revolved around that and if you're not looking at food porn accounts you're looking at how am I going to manage to eat quote-unquote healthy when I'm in an all-inclusive situation or I'm at boofy situations or I don't have access to the amount of protein that I would normally eat so you're either preoccupied with how much crap you can eat not that food is crap you know what I mean processed foods you're either preoccupied by that or you're preoccupied by not managing to eat the way that you want to eat it's very uncommon that you're that you don't have any of that off season yeah you do get a little bit more comfortable with that and we'll talk about the strategies that we use with clients to support that but especially at the time like you track all the way through your off season right or you didn't even track did you you just had a meal plan. no no I didn't track it you were one step behind <laughs> I was still stuck in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> oh god but I remember I remember once um sitting at my office when I was lecturing so I was lecturing in nutrition at this time and still being at my desk thinking oh I could have three Oreos on my oats or or I could take them out and I could have something else now at my desk while I was supposed to be writing a lecture sitting on my fitness pile trying to work out exactly how much I could have in my off season and it's like that's what we mean when we talk about extreme dieting and preoccupation with food these are all the types of things we mean it's not just about like yes that increases when you dietary restrict your calories but even if you're not restricting your calories, if you're still restricting in some way, so you're either trying to hit maintenance and track meticulously or you're restricting your food choices in some way, that's what, what, that's what food, food preoccupation looks like. It looks like sitting at your desk planning your, like your nighttime food. It looks like being, eating quote unquote clean all through the week and then just thinking that on a Friday, this is how much I'm going to eat and these are all the things that I get to eat. And I think anyone can relate to that, even if they've not done bodybuilding, if they've done any sort of restrictive diet, that's what food preoccupation looks like. There's a study, actually, you'll remember this, I'm sure, because I talk about NEIQ. Um, I think I talk about NEIQ anyway. But there was like there's research that shows that with people who diet, like their cognition can be impacted, right? So their quote unquote brain function, right? Their cognition can be impacted negatively through dieting. But when you actually refeed people, so when you say, right, let's stop dieting and give them more food, what actually happens is their cognition further decreases not because they're dieting but because they're then preoccupied with the fact that they've eaten more than they normally would so it's not a case of like if you've got someone who's competing or they are on an extreme diet and they've got a really important job it's not a case of being like oh they've got a big presentation this day this day let's let them chill out let's have them have a big breakfast and really focus on what they're doing that seems like the compassionate thing to do potentially what you're doing is actually making it worse because then you're just preoccupied even more so it's not a simple case of let's just stop restriction and let's just stop dieting and and food preoccupation goes away and that's why when you see people who are in their off season like still struggling with that stuff I think people get really confused as if it's like oh we'll just introduce these foods and then everything will be fine again um so I think there was uh, there was a study it was really really helpful I think I shared it with you a while ago and I might have put it in it be at EIQ but I don't think it did at the time that was Eric Helms and Jake who Jake is yeah. Jake Leonardin who is great binge eating if anybody doesn't know him he's great and they did a study specifically on bodybuilders in 2019 so they suggested that 
they, like they gave a lot of information about how bodybuilders are at this increased risk of binge eating, food preoccupation, um, like anorexic type tendencies, etc. And they highlighted like the three key reasons for this. The first key reason is that people who fall into bodybuilding or extreme dieting generally have this predisposition towards eating disorders. So they tend to be these people who have who maybe have narcissistic traits, perfectionist traits, low self-esteem, poor body image. These are people that tend to be drawn to bodybuilding. Um, they also have this kind of, uh, what happens when you diet is we have this biological drive to eat. We, so this again, it's not just bodybuilding, but as you drop body fat, what happens is that your leptin levels, which are stored in your adipose tissue, reduce. Leptin is responsible in part for hunger regulation. And as your body fat levels reduce, your leptin levels reduce, your hunger escalates. So you have this biological drive to eat more because you're, you're naturally hungrier. On top of that, your other hormone, another hormone that's responsible for your hunger, ghrelin, that increases. So that makes you even hungrier. And on top of that, you've got coaches saying, do more cardio, do more cardio, do more cardio. So your energy expenditure is going up. And so then you're getting hungrier. So what you've got is these people with like food preoccupation, perfectionist tendencies, um, increased risk of disorder eating habits already then you put them into this kind of state of extreme hunger and then on top of that you say right you're going to look at yourself every single day you're going to monitor yourself every single day you're going to weigh yourself every single day and then you're going to send me all of that information and i'm going to tell you what to do like when you just say it out loud it's like oh <laughs> this is a shit show but at the time you're like it's just what i've got to do isn't it yeah we we glorify it so much and again we don't we don't hate the sport like we appreciate what it gives to some people like we appreciate the effort that goes into it and we appreciate the drive to want to do it right this is definitely not bodybuilding sucks but this is like we have to take we have to acknowledge that these three things come together in just this absolute tornado of crap and if you think that you're getting out of bodybuilding alive without any of these issues, you are, I would say you're an anomaly. Do you think that's fair? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think it's so easy, right? I think people get into it because they think it's the same. We're the same. You start going to the gym and you think, especially people who are maybe restrictive and maybe slightly on the underweight scale, they start to build muscle and they say, oh, I, I can frame it like I'm building muscle to get strong. But then someone just says, oh, have you ever thought about competing? And it's like straight away, oh, great. Now I've got a reason to get stronger and then to diet again. I've got a reason to diet. It's so easy to get pulled into that. But again, this kind of predisposition, this biological drive, this self-monitoring, how many of your clients outside of bodybuilding like do you see these three things and even if they're not competing yeah <laughs> like it's so easy to again it's so easy to blame the sport but again we work with a lot of people who have chronic dieted for a long time and maybe who are underweight and so they've got all of these things already competing just adds another kind of layer on top of it because you've also got the end goal and then what happens at the end goal and I think that's where, like, that's where we see a lot of people, right? We get a lot yeah. of people he, who, so you're, you and I both work with clients, I mean, I don't take on clients anymore, but in the past, work with clients who either are referred from a prep coach for like an off season. That tends to be a lot of people that I've worked with in the last year or two, people who come to me for an off season to get their period back or to sort out their relationship with food and then they go back to prep again. 
um, or people who you work with a lot of people who have stopped competing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you see in terms of the common things that you see with people who come out of competing? Not knowing how to eat normally or how to just, yeah, I, yeah, I think that sums it up quite well. Um, like particular fear of going off plan and and having any range within macros and calories if they're tracking and also that that sense of kind of like well who am I if I'm not a competitor yeah and it and it's very much a journey to I suppose finding themselves isn't it yeah so there's a couple of things here right so there's the identity side of it and then there's the eating normal side of it what do you like I understand the normality thing it took I mean actually I think the last time I competed I just stopped tracking straight away just to try and figure it out but by that point I'd done four years and I'd looked at the research around mindfulness and intuitive eating and etc and so I knew that that was what I had to do and but what do you what strategy do you normally take and I know that obviously the way that we work is very person-centered right so it depends where the client is at in terms of what we do but what in terms of eating normally what type of things do you try and do like if you said to somebody now who was listening to this who was just finishing competing they're past the quote-unquote reverse diet stage right so they're a couple months out what kind of things do you do to encourage eating normally again um being more flexible with like I said having more of a range with calories in general so they're not just sticking to one set number and working towards a protein goal only um and just working on increasing food variety first and foremost because yes you might have had kind of a few different carb sources but anything outside of that might feel quite scary so it's really important to get to get those in and to feel more comfortable eating them yeah um, don't you think don't you think some people th- what something i see a lot is people think that they have that already but what they actually yeah. have is they have like you said right they'll say well i have a bagel as part of, i've had a bagel as part of my plan and i'm quite comfortable with those things and i, I can't have pasta because <laughs> yeah, yeah and they, they'll say well i eat these different foods at the weekend and i feel okay but it's like okay well what if you ate those foods during the week unplanned how would that feel it's like oh actually maybe that wouldn't feel great. So it's really easy to lie to ourselves, right? And say, actually, no, I'm in a good place with it. And it's like, but if someone spontaneously said, let's go out for brunch, how would you handle that? And it's really about getting curious about your responses to these types of different situations, right? Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, But yeah, that, I I think that's tends to be, how I start and then obviously there's the development around hunger and fullness cues because they have gone way off whack (laughs) Um, over over prep and even as you start into whether it be an off season or just finishing competing in general they'll stay you 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 won't be in tune with them at all to begin with yeah Um, because sorry no sorry yeah because I think you spend so long just listening to an app right you don't even have a you don't even have a clue and I heard something on a podcast the other day and it said we we don't trust no we try to control what we can't trust and that to me is 
bodybuilding 101 or a chronic diet in 101 we don't trust our bodies so we try to control them and it's like and the work that we do and i know that you do this really well is it's not about managing the control it's about developing the trust so then the control kind of slips a little bit right you don't need yeah. to control because you trust it more and so obviously we have you know certain pieces of homework that we get clients to ask clients to do and but a lot of it is about getting curious it's about getting curious about well what does hunger feel like to you a lot of competitors have this and i don't know if you remember this this kind of switch that as soon as you get to this certain level of fullness it becomes uncontrollable and it's like this fear of getting it's like a switch as soon as it's like a fear of getting to that point and as soon as they reach that point they feel like they can't control themselves anymore so they don't ever let themselves get full or comfortably full because they know that when they get comfortably full what happens is they get a little bit they can't sit there and then they get discomfort and then they overeat and so they constantly stay in this state of always a little bit hungry as if that's normal and it gives them a sense of control but it's because they don't trust themselves to get any further past that yeah yeah definitely but that's like basic dieting in cosmo isn't it stop before you get full <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely that and we have this fear of getting full and yeah and i think that's kind of how i work with clients too and then obviously then you want to transition ideally to to more of an intuitive eating approach or more of an eating intuitively approach and we have a bit of a modified intuitive eating structure that we use with clients because we're not anti-diet and you know we like to have some guidelines in place and I think even if you're still competing having an intu an eating intuitively part of your off season is so so important and that's what's missing you know I see people in off season similar to what you did and they follow meal plans for a year or they're following macros for a year and it's completely unnecessary they're eating the same foods pretty much day in day out and they're the foods that they like fine but they still are putting it into an app and it's like how how do you expect to get any sort of trust with your body when you literally are a day in day out for doing this and the kind of bro coach style is like you need to be doing this you need to be doing this in order to progress and it's like if you can't tell that your client is progressing in their strength in their hypertrophy goals in their relationship with food without seeing macros on an app that's a you problem that's not a client problem and that client like it is right your client deserves oh yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent there's so many ways of biofeedback that we can use like sleep training logs etc and it's like and yet you feel the need to be seeing their numbers on an app because you don't trust them to eat enough protein like that's what it comes down to right yeah yeah most definitely and do you know what it's really been bugging me I've seen a few female competitors that are in off season and they're eating over 200 grams of protein and then like they share their macros and then they're eating like 30 grams of fat and you're like well hang on a minute hang on a minute oh god I will talk about each in a minute right because that's a, that's a whole other thing but it's yeah it's just it's so frustrating and if you think about the intuitive eating research people who have higher intuitive eating scores have improved body image have reduced disordered eating reduced binge eating scores um, improved self-compassion lower bmis and yet we're like no 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 stay away from all of that all of these things that you're struggling with would be improved by taking this bit of an approach but let's let's not do that because I'm your coach and I need to I need to feel like I'm doing something so I need to look at your macros like it's absolutely outrageous uh, do you know what it comes back to the trust thing doesn't it <laughs> so, yeah 
yeah and then at the same time you know with people that we work with and either in your off season or when you finish competing a lot of the old issues that you had when you fell into competing in the first place you think that they've gone through competing you think that prep solved them but all it's done is put this giant big plaster over them and as soon as you stop the plaster comes off and then you think competing did all these things to my relationship with food and extreme dieting probably has exacerbated all of these things but they were there in the first place and it's like at some point you're going to have to own it and say these are the things that I have to work through this is nothing to do with like yes dieting's exacerbated it but I need to deal with these things first before I deal with anything else I need to deal with why I feel the need to diet excessively I need to deal with my overeating I need to deal with my emotionally and whatever it is competing doesn't deal with it it just sticks a plaster over it and it's and this is when again we get people to come to us and they say I recognize now that I need to deal with these issues before I do anything else because ultimately as well you're going to keep falling into the same cycle same as people who diet and then overeat and then diet and then overeat until you deal with the overeating you're just going to be in the same cycle of weight loss weight gain weight loss weight gain that's why most people don't maintain their fat loss um, you touched a little bit on fat intake there and I think that's a nice little segue into HA hypothalamic amenorrhea which is the other health outcome because all of these things are negative health outcomes you know the binge eating disordered eating food preoccupation low body image they're all still classed as health outcomes because it's when we think about health we're not just thinking about cardiovascular health or metabolic health we're thinking about psychological mental health um so in terms of when you work with people who have competed do they tend to come to you with ha or have they experienced ha like what do you see most have experienced it some recovered some uh, some still working on recovery yeah so a bit of a mix yeah yeah but i'd say 90 percent have experienced it yeah more that's the thing and there's it, ha occurs when you have generally especially in competitors right it's generally due to low energy availability but there's psychological physical stress on top of that and genetic factors on top of that and some people will not lose their period and they think why have i not lost my period and i got really lean and it's, it's, there's a huge genetic component to that but also if your stress levels in general are lower that all impacts things so it's not just well your energy expenditure and your energy input like it's mismatch there's all these other factors to it as well and I think this is the first time I came out and said I wouldn't advise anyone to compete was when I looked at the HA research properly because it's so easy to say I want my fertility to be good so that's why I want to manage my HA don't want to lose my period because I want to have a baby at some point on the flip side, it's so easy to say, well, I don't want babies, so it doesn't matter to me. Um, but there was one statistic that I found. So we know, for example, that having HA can impact things like cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease risk, fertility, cognitive function. It impacts all these things. But the statistic that scared me, and I think I did a post on this, was um, that it is women with hypothalamic amenorrhea can begin to experience bone loss after six months. It's estimated that the bone mineral density of a young woman with six months of hypoestrogenemia is the same as that of a 51-year-old woman. That's terrifying. If you're a competitor who's competing maybe four or five shows in, in the season and it's over, I don't know, five months, you could have you no know, period for five months, maybe a couple of months either side of that six seven eight months and I, I work with some competitors sometimes in their off season to get their periods back before they then go and prep again and it's like you could have had no period for years 
And bone mineral density is not reversible. And I, to me, that's terrifying. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think that there's, I don't think there's enough awareness around this that it's not a transient thing and that HA, I'm not trying to scare anyone. We can't scare anyone to behaviour change, but if you are a competitor and you think I'll deal with that after, I don't want kids now, I'll deal with it after, you are impacting so many other uh, factors in your life and so many different outcomes, health outcomes in your life aside from fertility. It's terrifying to think after six months, potentially the same BMD as a 51-year-old woman who's, who's perimenopausal. That's terrifying. Um, what do you tend to do? Like, what would you be your main considerations if someone does have HA in terms of like the basic stuff of what you would do to help them get their period back? Make sure that they're eating sufficiently. Um, I tend to, depending on where they're at, it tends to be at least 2000 calories. Yeah. A lot of the time it's quite, quite a bit more. Um, focus on fat intake, focus on reducing energy output and stress management. Exactly. And people, and think, sorry, go sorry. ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I think we, we both share the same in that we're not against training when you've got HA, but it's just being, you're, you're not training to, to make any gains you're training for the mental health benefit um, and training to maintain. Yeah, and volume that might look like four reps in reserve or RP of six or seven and three, maybe three resistance training sessions a week, no fasted training, no hip training. Um, and realistically, people often try and I think get bogged down in like the numbers. We have some clients who track with HA, right? And some clients who don't. But ultimately what you want to do is be in a surplus. There are certain supplements that we recommend with our clients, but they're not necessarily supplements that I would put onto a podcast. If anybody wants to know what they are, feel free to message me and we'll have a discussion about it properly. Um, but it's usually about, like you said, managing stress and probably gaining a bit of weight. And there's this kind of idea that it's like, well, if I reach the weight that I was at when I lost my period, I should get my period back. And that's just not the case. Often it's about overshooting that, that mark and then coming back down again. And I think alongside that, the beauty of the way that you work, I think, and the way that I work is that reducing food rules, becoming more intuitive, these things reduce stress. Mm. And when you're reducing stress with your relationship with food, that reduces the stress with your HA. And it's this kind of nice little bubble of getting more curious about yourself. And the thing is with HA, like you're not always going to be eating to fullness and hunger a lot of the time you're going to have to eat past fullness. You're going to have to eat when you're not hungry. And that can confuse some people. It's the same as when you're trying to overcome overeating. You're not always eating regularly to hunger. And so there's like this kind of spectrum, right, where you're trying to get your period back and you can't necessarily listen to your hunger and fullness. So you can do things like work on your food rules, work on food inclusion, work on stress management. And then as you get a bit, like you'll find that your hunger gets a little bit more, you can start get a little bit more intuitive then you can continue with getting more curious about your hunger and fullness and honouring that. And it's it's a process, right? But what you can't do is try and eat maintenance, keep restricting your food choices, keep tracking meticulously, keep training as hard as you possibly can. You are postponing the inevitable. At some point, you're going to have to do these things. I had a client, I've got a client at the moment who I work with who's freaking great. 
and she's she did a photo shoot and we're going all in because her hunger regulation is off and I've never actually done quote quote all in with someone before I've done versions of that you know and all in is basically eating and eating until you're genuinely satisfied and it's terrifying because it can feel like you're eating thousands and thousands and thousands of calories more than you need but it's because after extreme dieting your hunger regulation can be so off and if you've got HE on top of that it just all feels like this tornado tornado of dysregulation and you have to tackle it from every single one of these angles people think that you're just going to wake up and your body image is going to be great you're going to stop disorder you're, you're going to stop your disordered eating habits and you're going to restore your period and it's like it just doesn't work like that you have to put the work in as much as if not more than you did when you were on prep mm, yeah definitely I think anybody going through that I mean that an absolute hero because it is so fucking tough yeah yeah so anything else you do with people outside of you know trying to get more intuitive like over time trying to restore their period over time is there anything else that you think that either you personally benefit from or that you think people would benefit from when they're trying to either quit competing or they're in their off season um obviously lots of work on body image yeah. and accepting that body's changing is no bad thing because there's always that oh my god my weight's gone up this is awful my clothes feel tight I need to go back to dieting and gain some control um but yeah as, as, as I mentioned before there's that whole identity thing and so there's a lot of work on values yeah um what do you mean about the identity thing because we didn't really touch on that did we I kind of went off on one sorry on the identity yeah so I mean I definitely felt it I don't know if you did but I see it a lot with clients that when they stop competing they're like well who am I if I'm not this bikini girl um or well like I said it's it's not just competing but who am I if I'm not dieting and in the gym all the time the lean one the strong one the fit one what do I do with my time like just what in general <laughs> yeah and it, and it is a case of kind of finding out who you are and what else because it, I'm, I'm sure competing did bring a lot of joy but what else makes you truly happy what can you do with your time and your energy that makes you feel fulfilled yeah and you see this a lot the, the troublesome the tro more troublesome part of this is when you've made a lot of friends through competing which is great but you've competed you've connected through competing that's how you've made those friends or you're a personal trainer or a coach and you make money out of that identity and then then you're expected to watch just let that go risk those you feel like you're risking those connections you're risking your business because what what will people think if you change your whole identity and I mean I definitely had that I think that's probably why I competed for as long as I did that and my relationship was built off that my romantic relationship was built off that my career at the time felt like it was built off that my identity with my friends was that person and then it's mm -hmm. like oh now I'm risking all of that by letting that go but like you said it's about coming back to your values and saying well what's actually most important with me because when you're acting in line with your values you feel more content but you often don't know what your values are and your values are basically like a compass that directs where you want to put your goals and so when you get to this point usually you think well health is actually probably my most important thing so let's set some goals in line with that and it's about 
you often feel like you don't know what you like you don't know what food you like you don't know what you like to do at the weekend if you're not training twice and it's about leaning into the discomfort of the unknown which is horrible especially if you're someone most people who compete don't like uncertainty and so they compete because they like the control it's very hard to say right that you're gonna have to let go of all control and do all these things that you don't know anything about and you have to let that identity go and know that people connect with you because of who you are not because of the sport that you do people come to you for coaching not because of what you look like but because of who you are, your skills, your personality. But it's very, very hard if you've made money off of the way you look. And that's why with EIQ and AFM, we speak a lot about selling your coaching, trying not to sell your coaching through your body, because then you're stuck in this really hard place of, well, if my body changes, then my coach and my, my business is at risk. And that's terrifying. And I think I see that a lot with people who've competed who are business owners and then they want to try and get rid of it and they say well I know that I get more engagement on my pictures when I'm super lean it's like you might you might get thousands more likes on a lean picture than you do on an infographic about HA but what is the purpose of what you're trying to do here like and what's in line with your values is it helping people providing value um supporting people's health or is it external gratification and it's about continuously checking in that it's really 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 hard to do it's a long process, I think. How long do you think after you compete, do you feel like you've got to a good place with your relationship, food and body? Um, I would say I started working with you, I think a year after I competed. Because um, obviously I thought I could sort it myself. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Um, but no, I think it was probably... 18 months, two years, when I was in a, a really good place. Yeah. Yeah, I think my I think I was about the same. I think I was about a year, year and a half, maybe, mm. to be fully like, yeah, I'm legit fine. Because I think there was even when even when like food was in a really good place, there was still in the back of my head, I was like, well, I'd probably be happier if I was a bit leaner. Yeah. Would you know? <laughs> Would you? <laughs> and then you got anxious and lost all the weight, and then you were like, nope, that's not the case. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not the case. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. No, I was thinking about it before we did this podcast, and I was like, I have dieted. So 2016 was the last time I competed, and I've dieted once in six years. God. And that's been it. I think, do you know what? I think I might, I think I've probably dieted once again like the year after competed I thought oh I'll just try dieting one time and then that was the only time I properly dieted and then I think I maybe did like a three week sort of diet before like a couple of years ago and then that was it mm. and alas your body state goes up and down and up and down and again we're not anti-diet right it's just about do you need to diet for your health well yeah I mean I, I look at even when I was really anxious and got leaner than I wanted to or leaner I didn't want to but leaner than I, I like to look yeah um like I, I if I look at photos over the years the the love I have for my body hasn't changed yeah but my body shape fluctuates and I don't know maybe five six kilos I don't know yeah and I think what well, I mean we could do a whole episode on ways to improve your body image but one thing I would say is that you definitely see with people who compete or are coming out of that cycle as we talk about trying to get appreciation for what your body does and what everyone automatically does is says, I'm going to find appreciation for how strong it is, for how yeah. much I've left in the gym. And that's all they focus on. And it's like, 
what happens when you can't do that anymore? And that's the privilege, of course, of being able-bodied, if you are able-bodied. It's it's hard. A lot of the body, body image research highlights this as an area of concern that we cannot just focus focus body functionality on strength in the gym. We have to think about things that occur regardless of our physical capabilities. So it might be those things, of course, but it might also be being able to hug your son. It might also be being able to work or to breathe or to meditate or whatever it is. And I think it's really, I think that's quite an important disclaimer to make because it's such a common thing that I see with people that I work with for sure. And it's like, what else is there? Um, okay, so I think, I mean, there's so much we could talk about. I feel like we could talk about it. <laughs> um, but I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, would you ever compete again? No, no. no. I went I went and watched a couple of friends last year and there's still that buzz like I still love watching it like you said there's that appreciation for the competitors but I don't want to do it yeah I know how much it takes and I'm not I'm just not willing to, to, to do it anymore yeah. like, even with a great relationship with food and body image I, now I'm, there's just no need for me how yeah about you same. I think with bodybuilding, it's the classic, like you need to want it. You need to want it more than you want anything else. And I don't have that from, I just don't have that. I have that for a lot of things in life, but it's not my body shape. Like not even, if I had to, I could probably diet to lose a few kilos now. But that would be like a few weeks and then that would be it. I just, <laughs> and I, if I was like, if I had to, but again, this is certainly not, this is certainly not a criticism of the sport. What bodybuilding does is it allows us to look at the extreme ends of things. And I think that a lot of people would resonate with a lot of the stuff, even if they haven't competed. So it's certainly not a bodybuilding sucks. I wouldn't generally recommend people compete in general. And I, and I wouldn't prep a client personally anymore for it. But then I don't take on clients anymore. So it's slightly different. And I certainly have, even in the last year, certainly prep clients for it. So it's certainly not, yeah it's not a criticism at all um if you want to chat about anything so Anna you work with a lot of bodybuilders now or bikini athletes especially off season if you want to talk you can message Anna you can message me if you want to share this with someone that you think needs to hear it feel free well please do and that's it thanks everyone bye bye